Hello, you're already here. Thank you for opening the room. Um, how are you today? Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Thank you for inviting me. Can you hear me now? Can yes. Now? Yes, oh, I can hear That's you. Great. Yeah, because this is my first time to use this app, so I'm not quite sure <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. used it correctly. But thank you for arranging everything for me. Oh, of course. Um, if you could do me one favor, um, could yeah. you make me moderator so I can um, put the link for your presentation and so on. So how you do it is you click on my profile picture mm -hmm. and then you there's an option on the bottom make moderator or something with moderator. Yeah, I think I just perfect. Did. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry that I came later. Then you <laughs> no, don't be. Okay. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Uh, please meet um, Jamie, Jamie, please meet Dr. Huang. Hi, Jamie. Hello, this is Jamie. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Here. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Uh, my pleasure. Oh, yes, please. How how do I pronounce your first name? I don't want to say it wrong. Uh, so my first name is Jen Cho. I, I, I think it's very challenging to, <laughs> to pronounce it, but it doesn't matter. Jen Cho? Jen, yeah. Jen Cho. Okay, thank That's you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, my name is also hard to pronounce. So <laughs> I oh, know yeah. that. Please, yeah. Is, uh, oh, don't worry you... about my name today. It's just other people. <laughs> 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 yeah, let me add the link of your presentation. And thank you for sending it. Okay. Um, and we'll wait uh, around uh, four more minutes to start until it's sure. perfect. How How's your day today? Finally, a little Good. bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm I'm good too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, this week is a little bit less busy than the last week, so I'm I'm oh. glad. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> Great, so yeah, the link is there, the topics are there. Perfect. Okay. Thank we'll you. wait a few more minutes. Good. Um So um, yeah, it's the first time you're here on Clubhouse. So, but thank you so much for doing that, for joining Clubhouse for us and and going uh, through that. We really appreciate it. I hope yeah, there was I... not too much trouble. No, no, not at all. It's my yeah, pleasure. Yeah, there's a lot of um, you can on Clubhouse find find uh, rooms about any topic that you can mm -hmm. imagine. <laughs> oh, okay. so, so this started more during um, the time of COVID when people were stuck at home. Mm. It became very popular quite fast. So okay, I see. Yeah. How, how do you organize this? It, are, are most of you from NYU or? Um, no, so actually, I joined Clubhouse in the beginning, when Clubhouse started, you needed an invitation. Hi, Cecilia. Hello. I think 
they were mostly like some famous people here and media people. So you needed an invitation. But my husband was working at that time at Vice Media. So he invited me, but I didn't use it too much. But then, uh, yeah, being more stuck at home, the um, I listened to different rooms where science topics were discussed and so on. So um, then people asked me to talk about my work and then I thought oh, it would be interesting, maybe an interesting platform to talk more about science. Mm. I started inviting people and uh, yeah, sometimes there are really great conversations going on. And um, yeah, then I created this club because people were interested to listening to science. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I mean, you can find also like crazy rooms here on club, like <laughs> everywhere on social media, but, mm -hmm. but this is kind of counterbalancing that <laughs> a little bit. Sure. <laughs> so, Thank yeah. you for organizing this. And um, so we have uh, members from all around the world. So ah, we have of different time zones so that's why this room is recorded so people from other time zones where it's uh, in the middle of the night or for example uh, some of our members or quite a lot are from asia so it's in the middle of the night or uh, when it's getting later they listen to it afterwards so um, mm. that's why it's recorded so. i see it's kind of a way to make an interactive uh, podcast. So in the meantime, while we're recording, people can ask questions. <laughs> ah, sure. Yeah, that's really a good idea. Thank you so much for giving this platform a try, Doctor. Um, I've only been in this um, the clubhouse briefly, and I've been amazed that they ingenuity people have had with the, the Katarina says all the different rooms that's how I find myself to Science Society because Katarina's amazing at, at getting incredible guests like yourself because um, <laughs> I wouldn't be in a position to actually get to ask any questions to, to people like yourself so it's quite mm -hmm. exciting yes okay I think we can start um, so Welcome everyone to the Science Society and uh, we are very honored to have here today Dr. Huang who will talk about this um, uh, paper that was recently published and that's very very interesting and I think also very important work. Mm, it's cancer related as you can see in the title but let me first introduce you a little bit to um, Dr. Huang. He um, did his education at um, Sun Yat-sen University. Um, he did there his um, master's degree in microbiology and um, a general master's degree. And then he um, did his PhD in cellular and molecular biology at um, the Czech um, Academy of Science Institute of Parasitology Biology Center of the Czech Academy of Sciences. 
and um, then he did uh, his postdoctoral research at the Arizona State University. And um, currently he is at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City. And there he studies um, genetics via single cell technology, uh, which um, brought us now here to this very interesting uh, research. So uh, welcome and thank you so much. And if it's okay, uh, Jamie would like to ask you like a more general question in the beginning before you start your presentation, if that's sure, okay. Sure. Yeah, Perfect. thank you for the introduction, Katrina. Yeah, thank you very much, Doctor. One of the things that um, we actually find really interesting here is to find out what actually got you started on your path to science and specifically into the study that you found yourself in. So could you tell us that where did you begin? Do you always have this goal in mind or or did you have another dream when you were, you know, younger and coming up through to school? What uh, path did you put this? Yeah, so thanks for asking. Uh, so since I was uh, I was in, in my teenage, of course I did hear and even uh, it had happened to us that sometimes uh, some of my relatives they got uh, like the cancer by that time i believe uh, the therapeutics was even not as advanced as nowadays and i was uh, i was uh, as a teenager uh, already started to to think about what i can do uh, if if in the future i have the chance will i be able to join and the scientific team to develop some method to either diagnose the cancer at the early stage. I mean, this the whole idea was not so mature uh, back then, but uh, slowly uh, it it did influence me to choose the subject I want to uh, begin with. Yeah. But it actually became it actually came from a desire just to make things better for people like your family. That's incredible. Yeah, this is uh, it is. But uh, later on, uh, of course, there there's always uh, ups and downs during the pursuit of this <laughs> kind of dream. Yeah, because yeah. uh, to be honest, at the very beginning. Uh, we started with basic science because uh, uh, the in the college where I studied, uh, it's not that each each section was so closely related to cancer study or genetic study. So, uh, as Katerina just introduced, <laughs> my path was like very winding. Uh, I tried different subject and. Uh, in the end, yeah, I, I really, I, I was really lucky that I can study what I really like. That is that's wonderful to hear. Um, um, that that's great. Um, so you had to study many, many other things just to get along this path, then, because you had to know so many things about so many other things. Is that right? Yes, it's true that uh, while, uh, while I'm in the past to 
to reach where I am now. Yeah, well, I did learn and acquire a lot of knowledge from different either biology field, uh, microbiology, parasitology. Yeah, they are very diverse, but they did build up my basic knowledge for where I am today. That sounds remarkable. This is actually why um, we've been particularly enjoying this club because we found um, when we get multiple speakers from different areas, they all, we can have all the ideas coming together. So it sounds like you were already doing this yourself. Um, so thank you very much for sharing that. If you'd like to just begin your presentation, we are all ears. Thank you. Is that okay, so, Katerina? Yep, thank you so yeah. much. Okay, thank you. So I will start to present, okay? Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, it is my great pleasure to talk about the project I've been working over the last two, three years. And uh, the topic is uh, single cell analysis of somatic mutations in human bronchial epithelial cells in relation to aging and smoking. If you uh, come to the first Oh, I mean, the second slide of the front link, uh, you may notice that uh, in this graph, it is demonstrated lung cancer is by far the leading cause of cancer deaths among both men and women, uh, making up almost 25% uh, of all cancer deaths each year. More people uh, die of lung cancer than any other type of cancer, and it may be the, uh, I mean, the number of people died from lung cancer can be the sum of colon cancer, breast cancer, and prostate cancer combined. In the, so coming to the next slide, in this uh, graph plot, it shows that cigarette smoking is the number one uh, risk factor for lung cancer. So in the United States, cigarette smoking is linked to about 80 to 90% of lung cancer deaths and uh, 10 to 20% of lifelong smokers uh, develop cancer, which is a lot if you think about the huge number of smokers. Uh, lung cancer risk in case control studies showed relations between lung cancer risk and smoking dose. So the smoking dose here refers uh, or demonstrate at the bottom of this slide is calculated by the years of smoking and the average packs of cigarette per day. So I will give you an example. So if a smoker, he smoked 20 years and each day he smoked just one pack, then his pack years is 20. But if he smoked two packs, per day for 20 years, then his uh, pack years is 40. So this is a kind of indicator of his lifelong <clears throat> smoking dose. And we did find that uh, the more, the higher the smoking dose, the higher risk uh, of the lung cancer. But it is, well, it is an, another reality that most of the uh, lifelong smokers or heavy smokers, they don't get or develop lung cancers. 
So in the fourth, in the fourth slide, uh, here it shows apparently that when you do not smoke, of course, the cancer risk is minor. When you smoke continuously, the cancer risk increased significantly at advanced ages. We can see here at the age of 75, yeah, it is with the highest risk of lung cancer with those uh, uh, continued smokers. So in the fifth slide, uh, we are asking that how may tobacco smoke cause lung cancer? Because we all know that uh, those uh, some uh, heavy smokers did develop uh, lung cancer, but how did it happen? There must be a like uh, um, a biological cause of it, right? So it is generally in this uh, schematic illustration, it demonstrated the basic mechanism or potential mechanism how smoking can cause lung cancer. It is because uh, the carcinogenic chemicals in the tobacco smoke, including the uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and other carcinogens, they induce DNA damage and uh, uh, increase the erroneous DNA repair and replication, which generates DNA mutations. During the continuous uh, smoke exposure, mutations accumulated in cancer driver genes, including uh, proto-oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes, and, and cells were under the selection for growth advantage and tissue invasion, and eventually involved into cancer. So with the critical role of mutations in causing cancer, the assumption of how smoke induced cancer has not been proven, as nobody was able to show or measure mutations in normal cells exposed to tobacco smoke. So in the sixth slide, uh, here generally showing you the clonal expansion uh, of initial initiating cell during the uh, cancer development. So it is uh, much easier to detect somatic mutations in tumor cells. This is because most tumor could be treated as a single clone. Basically, they uh, yeah, just expanded from the initiating cell at the very left. Therefore, uh, when, when, it, when it clone expanded into a tumor, uh, all the mutations in common of all the cells may provide information of the original mutation level or original mutation pattern in the initiating cells. However, by now, uh, little is known about the normal cell because as we showed in the sixth slide, uh, with the tumor, we may only got the mutation frequency of the initiating cell. And that is the moment when initiating cell transformed into the cancer cell. With this concept in 2016, 
Alexandra used the tumor tissue, which were clones from initiating cells, uh, surrogate for the initiating cell to start somatic mutations. Yes, exactly. They just used the uh, tumor as a surrogate to find the sharing mutations between each cell so that they have the information of the initiating cells uh, somatic mutation. But they did not really study the normal cell, which means before transformation into the cancer cell. And here our, our hypothesis is uh, that somatic mutational burden increases with age in normal lung cells of never smokers. That means uh, the, the mutation may accumulate with age growth. And uh, this kind of mutation will be elevated by smoking and dependent on smoking dose in the normal lung cells. Yeah, we brought up our hypothesis on slide eight. So in slide nine, uh, to here is to demonstrate the method or the strategy to, to analyze the somatic mutation level in the normal cell. On the left side, uh, it shows that, uh, so the shows how the mutation developed uh, when it is from the zygote. We can see here that during the early embryo stage, the red dot in the representing the somatic mutations. It will only be found later among a few different cells that is uh, uh, well then arising from. But most of the uh, somatic, or most uh, cells, they are not sharing the same somatic mutations. That's why uh, to find out mutation frequency in, of each cell, we need to use the single cell method. On the right side, uh, it is show the principle of how the single cell method work. So basically our lab developed whole genome amplification method on single cell to find somatic mutations. The true mutations could be identified in this method because they always linked to the germline SMP. SMP representing the single nucleotide polymorphism. Whereas the errors during the amplification and sequence are easily uh, randomly present in all sequencing reads. Uh, but by link to the SMP, we will be able to remove, we'll be able to distinguish the true somatic mutation and errors. So with this method on the slide 10, uh, in previous studies from our lab, mutation frequency was found positively correlated with age in human B lymphocyte, which is at the left, and hepatocytes at the right. And in slide 11, here are 
these are our specific aims. Uh, M1, we want to optimize a pipeline for the single cell somatic mutation measurement in human lung. M2, analyze the somatic mutations of normal lung cells in relation to age among never smokers. M3, analyze somatic mutations of normal lung cells in relation to smoking status. Here, uh, so on the slide 12, here is to show the accomplished M1 with all subjects, that is harvesting the proximal bronchial basal cell from the endobronchial biopsy, which was performed during bronchoscopy in the bronchos at the bifurcation point of the lung. The bronchial brush was employed to brush off proximal bronchial basal cells, which are candidate progenitor cells for squamous cell carcinoma. The brush with all cells were then cultured in a selective media for short term, and the normal bronchial epithelium were screened and kept as frozen pellet in the repository for logistic effectiveness. These two steps, step one and two, uh, were accomplished by our collaborator, Dr. Simon Spivak's lab. We continued, our lab continued with nuclei isolation from these frozen cell pellets and collected single nuclei for each subject. With single nuclei, we performed whole genome amplification, library preparation, and whole genome sequencing. The sequencing data were analyzed to identify somatic mutations, which include SMV uh, abbreviation, that is abbreviation for single nucleotide variations, and indels abbreviated for short insertion and deletions. This pipeline with nuclear isolation step enable the analysis of samples that could not be harvested and processed in one day. The same pipeline could also be adapted for live cells. So in slide 13, I would like to introduce you the human subjects uh, in this research. For this, uh, as we already set our aims, so here 13 three subjects were recruited. Among them, 31 were under the endobronchioscopy for the suspect mostly of lung cancer. It was in this process when the lung cell was harvested. There were 12 never smokers with bronchial biopsy. Their age were between uh, 25 to 86. Additionally, we commercially obtained the same primary cell from two teenagers. That is to for the M2 to find the relations between mutation frequency and age. The smoker group includes 19 subjects. The cumulative smoking dots were indicated by pack years with cancer and the cessation status listed accordingly. So here is the result. We measure the mutation Oh, on the, sorry, on the slide 14, uh, here is the without plot. 
we measure the mutation frequency in 51 single nuclei from 14 never smokers. So each dot in this plot represents a single nucleus. We found the SMV frequency, that is the mutation frequency, as indicated by y-axis increases with age of donors, indicated by the x-axis. At the scale of uh, SMV per megabase, we found the cell of the highest mutation, which is almost at the top of the plot, uh, is very close to the mutation frequency in long tumor of a never smoker in the previous study we referred. It is uh, tempting to suggest that this cell may be the initiating normal cell of cancer development. Uh, we calculated the median SMV frequency of each never smoker represented by each dot in the plot. The orange bar indicated the minimum and maximum mutation frequency of three to five single nuclei measured per subject. We found the SMV frequency increased with the age of donor, which corresponds to a rate of 28 mutation per cell per year. Similarly, the frequency of indels, that is small insertion and deletion, also increase with age among never smokers. At, however, the rate is much lower. It is, uh, the rate is among, uh, around two indels per cell per year. On the slide 17, uh, to find smoking status effect on the somatic mutation, we plot smokers against age of donors along with never smokers, represented by red and orange dots respectively. So the red dots indicating the smokers mutation frequency while the, the brown dots indicated the never smokers mutation frequency. Clearly, we can see that the mutation frequency among the smokers are significantly higher than never smokers when they were all plotted against age. In other words, since uh, smokers mutation frequency elevated uh, compared to never smokers, Indeed, when we compare the rate of mutation frequency by year, we notice that in smokers, it is 91 SMV uh, per cell per year, whereas the never smokers only 28. Overall, the, then on slide 18, we also try to find the indel frequency among both smokers and never smokers. Overall, indel frequency among both smokers and uh, non-smokers increased with age. It was estimated that rate of indel among smokers was twice of that of never smokers. On slide 19, to gain 
better insight into the relationship between smoking and the mutation burden. We analyzed uh, mutation frequency in the lung cell as a function of smoking dose. Among the data points, uh, there's one outlier that is very obvious, indicated by the number 1320 at the left uh, upper, upper part of this whole plot. This is a light smoker at the age of 81 who was also a cancer patient. And uh, it contained a very high number of mutations in four cells sequenced. We then analyzed the mutation frequency as a function of pack years with or without this outlier, 1320. So when we analyze without the outlier, mutation frequency positively correlated with smoking dust up to 23 pack years. After that, surprisingly, a level off was observed among smokers with heavier smoking. The switch point was found statistically significant by our likelihood ratio test with piecewise linear model and baseline model. When the outlier subject was included, the nonlinear increase of mutation frequency was essentially the same. So irrespective, the result clearly showed that the mutation frequency in long cell of heavy smoker was not higher than the moderate smokers. The India frequency was found not Oh, on the slide 20, the India frequency was found not dependent on pack years either. On slide 21, we tried to uh, plot the mutation frequency with the lung cancer probability with the y-axis at the right indicating the probability. So in this uh, graph, we can see that it seems well, the mutation frequency uh, did not go up after 23 years, the cancer, lung cancer probability among the smokers, they are also not showing a linear increase. So there's indeed some evidence that lung cancer risk may go down slightly at very high smoking dose or high pack years. However, though that mutation frequency do level at, at higher uh, smoking doses. The cancer risk has been calculated over populations and we analyze individuals. The fact that 80% of heavy smokers are not with lung cancer as we previously introduced and our data here offer a possible explanation that is individuals cancer risk may depend on genome sequence integrity which may be different from individual to individual thus far no one could measure that in normal cell so to analyze on slide 22, 
To analyze the mutagenesis from all subjects, we applied a computational method developed by Alexandro based on cancer tissue, which are essentially clones of cancer cells. A database called Cosmic demonstrate signatures extracted from cancer tissue and link them to mutagens such as tobacco smoke, aging, etc. The SMV mutation spectrum of smoker and never smoker at left showed relative contribution of each 96 mutation type with a six base substitution type indicated at the top. The right histogram showed extracted mutation signature with their relative contributions. Among them, aging signature were dominant in both groups, whereas smoking signature was evidently found only in smoker. In slide 23, similarly we analyzed the signatures of Indel. The spectrum of Indel I left with this top indicating insertion, deletion at different lengths by color. In the histogram of the major indel signature at the right, the smoking signature in green was evidently higher among smokers. Where other signatures shown were either novel or have not been linked to any clinical mutagens in the database. As mutations so in slide 24, as mutations in cancer driver genes were critical for the transformation during uh, cancer evolution, we searched among all 134 cells measured for, from these uh, 33 subjects and found 21 mutations from 12 lung cancer driver genes out of uh, all 100,000 observed somatic mutations with gene, number, name, and type of mutations indicated at the left diagram. Driver mutations were mostly from smokers. Further, we asked whether more driver mutations found in smokers were due to the overall higher mutation frequency as we previously mentioned. To answer this question, we compare mutation frequency in driver gene versus non-driver gene. In the plot at the right, the red diamond indicate the mutation frequency in lung cancer driver genes with normalization of covered genome size, while the boxes indicating median and the interquartile range of frequency of mutations from lung cancer driver genes up to 200 times of repeats. Yes, that means due to the overall higher mutation frequency in smokers, mutation in lung cancer and the pan cancer driver genes were more frequent in individuals with a smoking history. On the slide 25, to to evaluate the possible effects of genetic background on mutagenesis in lung cells, we tested all studied subjects for the presence of uh, germline variants, that is the genetic backgrounds, previously associated with the solid cancer. 
or listed in the ClinVar database. That is uh, a clinical database with the uh, pathogenic variants. So out of the 33 subjects, a total of 17 were carrying at least one or six identified genetic variants associated with uh, risk of solid cancer. Among these uh, 17 subjects, there were 12 the lung cancer cases and one other cancer cases as indicated by red box. So this enrichment of risk of cancer risk variant in cancer cases was statistically significant. On slide 26, I would like to summarize our whole study. We analyzed somatic mutations in 133 normal lung cells from uh, 33 subjects. The somatic mutation frequency increases with age in normal lung cells of never smokers. The somatic mutation frequency is elevated by smoking, but level of in heavy smokers. Signature related to tobacco smoking are found with significant contribution only in smokers. Lung cancer driver gene mutations were found, but not significantly different from mutation frequency in other genes. Cancer-related germline variants enriched in cancer cases. So in slide 27, uh, here, is our, here are our future direction. We would like to measure other somatic mutations, for example, gen general structure variation and copy number variations. Also, we would like to analyze the somatic mutation landscape of blood and buccal cells and then compare with lung cells of the same subject. Further, we would like to explore the germline mutations in general maintenance gene as risk factors for high somatic mutation burdens. With that, uh, I would like to thank my mentor Young and all lab colleagues. Also thanks to our collaborator, Dr. Simon Spivak and his lab members, as well as Kenny Ye for all the statistic analysis. And uh, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for this very interesting uh, presentation. Uh, it was really great how you explained the data. And um, the thought, the first thought that I had when I first just um, read, um, you know, the abstract um, of your paper was we had the guest speaker here um, before um, showing Detlef Weigel. He works in plants. But he showed basically that actually in plants mutation doesn't don't seem to be um, completely random after all, and that um, they detect over generations uh, less mutations in very important gene sites that are important for survival. So I thought that maybe your work would point. Um, uh, it would basically maybe support a little bit that this is also happening in animals, but you say that the, 
the location of the mutations, you you didn't detect a pattern that uh, important um, regions of the gene for function for different function, maybe even protective functions of uh, gene repair. Um, they they happen everywhere randomly. That's that's how you see it, right? Uh, yes. So I did I did know the. I think the research you referred to of the uh, non-random mutations in plants, even though I did not uh, thoroughly read the, that paper, uh, in our case, uh, I think when mutation occur, it is randomly distributed uh, in the genome, but at the same time, there's a selection of uh, mutations. so. Uh, initially, if the, the mutation occurred, for example, in some vital genes, uh, and but the cell may not be able to survive, so this kind of mutation, it happened, but we will not be able to capture it, right? So this is the selection process in the human body. Whereas uh, there are some mutations, it could be selfish, mutations which can give the cell advantage of growth therefore it will proliferate much at a greater rate than other cells so this kind of cell may be may may possess the potential to transfer into the cancer cell because it may outrun other cells so this is kind of selection in our body in the end we are just uh, uh, measure the terminal mutations levels of the cell which we can harvest it yeah that's really interesting jamie you had the question and um, yeah it's really thank you for the talk and um it was fascinating when you were talking about the the levels of of mutations when you said like um number smokers were what 28 mutations and there was Smokers being ninety one, I was wondering when you told when you said about um lung cancer being so much more prevalent than loads of other types of cancers, um did you know why lung cancers like particularly uh, bad for this or the lungs are particularly uh, bad for these kind of mutations and things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the slide I'm talking about. I guess uh, about the lung cancer is the leading cause of all cancer mortality. That is on slide two, right? So here, uh, the prevalence of cancer, uh, the prevalence of lung cancer may not be necessarily the leading one, because as far as I know, the skin cancer is the most uh, common cancer or the uh, with the highest occurrence uh, in the world. But the lung cancer is the leading cause of um, mortality. That's because uh, either it is based on the survival rate, I believe, uh, of the clinic data. Mm. Why it is like that? Or sorry, did I, am I asking the question you, you I'm, am I answering the question you're asking? Oh, oh no, yeah, no, please continue, because like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated just 
with you saying that skin cancer is like higher, but yeah, no, please continue. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the the mortality rate, I think, uh, it is. I note I did know that for because among even the lung cancer, there are many different types. Uh, one of them is called squamous carcinoma, which usually, uh, when it is diagnosed, uh, it is already at a very late stage and very difficult for uh, effective therapeutics to therapeutics to apply. That's why it had very low, uh, like survival rate, as far as I know. Uh, I actually had uh, squamous cell carcinoma, and uh, one of the things that was surprising about the statistics, because I kind of jumped in being a biophysicist, I was like, I want to understand this problem. And one was uh, most people, if they catch this uh, kind of cancer late, that is stage three or four, uh, there's less than 20%, something like that, survivability, whereas if you get it uh, treated earlier, uh, there's a high survivability because uh, the chemotherapies are quite effective. I think one of them is called um, BYL-719. Uh, that's the chemotherapy that I took for that specific uh, cancer, and it was a PIC, some sort of PIC mutation. Uh, wow. um, yeah, and uh, in, in particular for the stage 1, stage 2 cancers, most of them are operative, meaning you can just do surgery and physically remove that tissue. And so uh, that, that's kind of how it uh, how it breaks down, at least yeah. for, from what I understand. So so it's high survivability if caught early, and somewhat treatable for most people. So yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> and do you also think um, that uh, in the current climate, with the really bad air all round about us and things like that, that there's like a sort of chance of triggering more mutations um in the lungs like because i mean if we're breathing in bad air um for pollution and things like that then it's essentially like a sort of type of bad smoking but just very very um you know mildly over a long period of time have you yeah I, about that? so for the uh about the risk factor of uh, lung cancer Apart from the cigarette smoking, I we also noticed that even though I, I I only work on the genetics or and the molecular mechanism at a genetic level, but I did read that uh, so oh, especially in the early eighties or nineties, uh, it is found that in Asian country, which especially among women uh, who uh, I think cook with the old stuff where there, there was a lot of uh, smoke from the burning uh, material. And they also have a high risk of uh, lung cancer occurrence. Yeah. And of course, nowadays, because of the pollution, this is an, an adult uh, risk factor for lung cancer occurrence also. But uh, all this, because in this, in our study, uh, or in our further study, we are trying to find the genetic background of at the individual level, because it seems as each individual, or uh, when it has come to the population level, uh, not everyone show the same resistance 
to the uh, cigarette smoking caused mutation or even cancer. And that may help us to find out uh, why someone is more susceptible while the others less. And we hope we, hope we can find the, uh, for example, the genetic background that may determine all this. Uh, and we, we may use this information for the future uh, application, translational application. So have you looked people. at? Uh, oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead, Jamie. Oh. Uh, no, 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 please, please. Uh, have you tried looking at like one of the things that I know Craig Venter looks at? So from uh, uh, John Craig Venter, the the guy who sequenced the human genome on the private industry side, uh, he talked about like one of the ways that they partitioned their data was to look at people who didn't make it into old age. So separate the population into people who half of who died by 50 and then the other half who died after 50. And so you get this kind of bimodal uh, distribution. And for example, like um, not to make it sound sad, but some people have certain genes that are not found in older populations. So we know that those people just don't make it to that age and perhaps differentiating subpopulations like that. So I guess it, my question is, uh, have you started doing that analysis? Because it wasn't clear from the way that you phrased it, whether that was the question that you were going to be answering next. Mm. So we are not uh, directly to your question. We are not doing uh, the population of, uh, the genetics at the population level. Well, we are still trying to. Uh, we are more like uh, trying to analyze the mutational level to track back what could uh, like uh, this those people who are more resistant, and if we can find those people are more resistant, we'll be able to survey their genome and to find because uh, the whole genome is really a very big pool for us to find out but if we can locate those people who are more resistant uh, we will be able to maybe do it more precisely but at the population level yeah it is i think the whole genome mm. is really big i we yeah i think the way uh, you the research you described may still provide us uh, still zillions of data then we still need to, to screen which one or how they like coordinate it to with each other so that it can determine someone's uh, lifespan in the end oh okay yeah so you're going very like computational model i guess is mo most of the uh the kind just of... to it's in the presentation I, I know you came a little bit later but this is looking at single cell somatic mutation measurements in the human lung from specific people and then uh, you have um <clears throat> never smoker 12 subjects and smoker 19 subjects so um if that helps yeah, I guess I was asking, like, how was the study, um, like, what is it called, pre-registered or whatever? How was the population uh, selected? Um, uh, I guess that's probably just an elective uh, thing, like, okay. in a clinical trial, right? So I, I signed up for a clinical trial, so I guess 
that's how that was. But uh, in terms of starting to look at a problem like this, you can look at the molecular variations, but how did that question uh, get simplified to that cell, I guess? Yeah, so so all these subjects, they are they, they were doing the biopsy because they are in a suspect mostly of lung cancer. Yeah. Uh, or structural abnormality. So they that's how we got all these subjects. And we are mm, more like a quantity or analyze the terminal, uh, the terminal, uh, what's that? The terminal uh, end point, which is the mutation, because uh, they are from the DNA damage and to repair and all the process and the selection in the end, they were just demonstrated on the cells uh, mutation level. And that is something we are measuring on. So that we are trying to use that. We're trying to analyze the uh, mutation level to evaluate the cancer risk. That is basically what we're doing. Okay, so I guess did the were the biopsy samples uh, sequenced beforehand, or like were they were like uh, I'm curious about the distribution because the, the the data set seems small, like it's not in the thousands, right? Um, so I'm curious, yeah. how, like what was the power of of the study, like statistically, because that seems like an impressive extrapolation from such a small set. So, mm. so. As we are doing the whole genome sequencing, firstly, I need to uh, stress that it is uh, very expensive to to have the whole genome sequencing data out of uh, 134 cells. So in this, our current study, there are only uh, uh, 134 cells from uh, 33 subjects. And uh, we, yeah, it seems at this moment, the subject's number is not uh, high compared to the population study, as I pointed out for the cancer risk study, usually they use the population mm, to to make the statistic model. But in our, uh, our number is lower, but we are still, in, our results are all based on the statistic significant uh, analysis. And that's why we may want to develop uh, the alternative for survey the mutation frequency in blood or the buccal, so that we'll be able to, uh, in, to, uh, to have a, a bigger pool of the subjects. Yeah, that may help us to find more information uh, for screening in more subjects uh, cancer risk by this kind of method. This is fascinating. And so are you hoping then, um, so, sorry, um, please please correct me if um, I'm, I'm misunderstanding, but you're looking at the, the genome of uh, people and you're trying to find where certain people are more resistant and then you're trying to go, why are they more resistant or, or something like that so that you can perhaps find a way to give this resistance or uh, to other other people? Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, I think a very 
easy example for us to start with is you all of us may heard uh, BRCA1, right? BRCA1 genes deficiency. And uh, the idea is maybe, and it is just a small uh, nucleotide polymorphism. So it is just a single nucleotide mutation may affect it, the function of certain gene. Therefore, when it accumulate, I mean, the effects accumulate, it, it leads to higher cancer risk or lower cancer risk. But so uh, the idea is like what you just mentioned, if we can find someone or a some people, they are more resistant to, uh, to mutation induced by smoking, we, we will try to locate their uh, polymorphism or uh, single nucleotide polymorphism so that we may use the CRISPR technique to, to analyze the effects of this uh, SMP. Oh, by then turning it on and turning it off, I guess, and yes. kind of letting, okay, okay. Yeah, so I guess there was enough consistent damage from smoking that there was enough similarity in the cells, or is, I guess that's what the power of the statistics kind of played out, that it didn't matter. Uh, are you, sorry, can you repeat your question again? Uh, so I'm just asking about the consistency of the damage to the genome from smoking. Was there like what was the I, like I'm I'm looking at the slides and I don't know if it's actually presented in the slides, but I'd be curious about the distribution of the the mutations. Uh, like what was the clustering? Because there's okay. some mention in here, but um, so if we if we like somatic at, mutations or that slide, if we look at the, the slide 17. You may find well in in this on the slide 17, the red dots are the mutation frequency of smokers, and apparently, they are uh, significantly higher than the never smokers, never smokers of the same age. Right, so mutation okay. frequency, yeah, this is like the mutation frequency at the general, um, general level. Then further, if we look at the slide 24. Uh, at the left side here is about mutation found in the cancer driver genes, which are the driving force of cancer development or cancer cell proliferation. And most of these mutations are found in, uh, I mean, most of these mutations are found in among smokers. But uh, it, it is not because uh, they, they they are selectively occurred in this gene, but because of the uh, overall high level of mutations we showed previously among smokers. Yeah. So, oh, okay. smoke, so there's like an average, so there's an average drift of the amount of mutations kind of correct. moving up from, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I was asking. Sorry, I, I'm not sure if you went over that slide, but thank you for, for going yeah. over it now. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'm wondering as well, like with the, this research, are you, um, um, are you hoping that if you can discover, uh, like this this resilience or or be able to get give it, is this meant to help with prevention, or are you hoping to find something 
that would reverse um, these kind of mutations and problems for people who have it already, or or, is it, or are you looking at this as likely going to be um, people could maybe be given like I don't know like a like a lung cancer vaccination or something to give resilience. Mm, I think it's if we okay here our study is more like cross sectional study, so it is at one moment if in like I said if we can develop or validate it the uh, the mutation analysis from the blood or from the buccal because that would be help us easier to track the mutation uh, uh, development in the normal cell and hopefully we will be able to find uh, like more targets for the uh, chemotherapy or for the targeting from the uh, by the antibody but uh, at this moment with our current study i don't think we can uh, realize or make it what you uh, suggested uh, come in any time so <laughs> um Right, right. But something hopeful we probably thank you very much, Doctor. That's fascinating. Yeah, I just wanted to comment that I think um this is a great model for studying resilience um against cancer because um smoking like to basically to have a real life model um on framework to work with uh, in humans where such a impactful factor is taking place because using other pollutants, it's, it varies so much, right? Um, if you live in the city, if you live in the suburbs, if you live out on the farm, there are different pollutants affecting you. So I think you found a really uh, wonderful model and, and started creating this framework to look into uh, resilience um, of, uh, against cancer and uh, comparing it to aging, because aging is still the biggest risk factor, as we see also very nicely in your slide. So I want you to complement on this and starting this study. And uh, it's a lot of data and a lot of work. So um, it's, it's really wonderful. And I hope I, I have a lot of personally and also from research perspective i have a lot of hope um for for changing the perspective to asking resilience questions um so that we can go forward and uh, in the future maybe help people better so so thank you this is really wonderful and i wanted yeah, to check if you have if anyone has some last questions because we Yes, me. Yeah, so you mentioned like, uh, I guess, monitoring or more consistent monitoring that would allow you to keep track of the changes. Uh, what kind of technologies could you envision or would you want to see? Like, And, and uh, I guess one thing to note is that I'm an entrepreneur who has a biotech company that makes a type of sensor that makes certain uh, sort of uh, measurements on uh, biomolecules. Uh, what would be kind of the, the dream device if you could envision one that would allow you to perhaps make some leeway on this kind of problem? Uh, if you ask me to envision, I think here are something I think 
in the future, we may be uh, checked more intensely. First, of course, is sequencing. Uh, if we can to do more high throughput, either whole genome or single cell, uh, either single cell or box sequencing, we'll be able to track the development uh, at the genetic level or molecular level. Uh, secondly, uh, I think what now people trying to do is trying to correlate the imaging signature with the genetic signature. And if that can be uh, developed so that in the future, the high resolution imaging uh, device uh, may help us to to uh, capture or diagnose the cancer at the very its earliest stage. That can also help to take more or early preventions. Uh, thirdly, I think uh, I think probably still it is back to it is about uh, sequencing, but it it is to targeting or it is to capture uh, something like cell-free DNA or I don't know stability of RNA in the blood. So that that may also help us to get the information of carcinogenesis at this early stage. That is um, my viewpoints. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, our team is looking at uh, I guess uh, um, metabolic byproducts such as double-stranded RNA and other things like that that are early indicators of changes in the system, and we're trying to see uh, with some. Uh, I guess agriculture, and then perhaps soon with some animal models, we'll be able to uh, get some more testing done and see if we can actually make that correlation. Because it seems to be like an open problem, and deep learning or or the field of automation or machine learning seems to have quite a lot of fruits to bear. And this problem just seems like it should work, although I think it's uh, uh, often uh, a measure of the technology of the time. So uh, it's an interesting time now to see because most of the signal generator technology that's used in cellular networks lends itself to biotechnology sensor development. And so the costs have really come down quite a lot in the last uh, yeah. few years. Uh, so it's, it's definitely an exciting time. Um, so thank you for uh, entertaining that question. Um, and it would be uh, really awesome to speak with you a little bit about that if possible, about yeah, kind of, of uh, what kind of capabilities you would want um, because uh, we, we enjoy not only hearing about uh, the kind of work that you're doing, but also the things that you need in the laboratory and maybe uh, someone that we know or or whatnot. Yeah, actually, uh, just to let you like know that, that uh, I'm sorry, uh, our lab, I think the single cell uh, whole genome sequencing is just only one technique developed in our lab that I'm talking about today, but uh, we are also trying to develop in different methods. Uh, recently, I think our lab, our lab just published one another paper called Single Molecular Method of Sequencing that is published on Science Advance. If you are interested, you may, because it is based on the box sequencing. It may also, instead of isolate the single cell, it may, by extracting the genomic DNA from either tissue or from blood, or even it has been tested with cell-free DNA to to uh to quantitate the mutation frequency and we were hoping to you to leverage this method for uh for the further use of uh, 
disease risk evaluation. That's so interesting. Maybe we can have uh, another room, maybe in June or so, if you would be willing to come back and uh, and talk about this yeah. method. Like sure, yeah. I mean, that, uh, that method is many. I was a co-author of that. I mean, co-author of that uh, technique, but uh, the the first author I can talk with my colleague. Yeah, probably he will be the best person to introduce the method. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's thank you very helpful. much. Yeah. Uh, you would have time in in June. Uh, sometime in June, that would be would be great. Uh, it would be really interesting to have a follow-up room, basically, and talk about this technology mm -hmm. from the app. So, sure. um, do you have time for one more question? I saw that. Um, uh, sure. Joins. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, so very interesting work. Thanks for sharing. I just went through the slides because uh, I I did join a bit uh, later. Actually, I joined maybe a couple minutes ago. Uh, but the slides were very helpful to catch up and sort of get a really good idea about what you did there. Um, I, I had a, I was wondering if um, if you did any subgroup analysis in terms of the type of lung cancer because we know from uh, as as a doctor essentially we know patients that smoke tend to get a type of non-small cell lung cancer specifically named uh, squamous cell carcinoma yeah. as opposed to for example most non-smokers getting um, the uh, another type that usually most adenoma. of the time, obviously, the, the adenocarcinoma, exactly. So I was wondering if you had any insight into that, into, you know, any subgroups in particular, especially that you did actually give yeah, patients to non-smokers. Yeah, go ahead. I think you are bringing up a very good question. And that's, that's exactly what we wanted, wanted to do and we have been trying to do. But to do that, I think, firstly, as you know, the location of adenoma and the squamous carcinoma is different, right? And at this moment, the biopsy we can collect it mostly from the bronchial bronchioscopy that only goes to that only goes to like the bifurcation of lung, but not all the way to the the what's that the uh, lip. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the word. The 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 location of adenomas occurrence area. So that that could uh, that is the challenge for us at this moment, but we are trying to ask different lab which may harvest the sample from the uh, adenomas uh, occurring uh, area, I mean the normal cell there, yeah, so that we may get more insightful information or about uh, the mutation pattern of the cell in the adenoma carcinoma patients. At this moment, because uh, we our, most of our cells are harvested from the uh, bronchial scopy, so we may not be, and the, plus they are, uh, in this study, there are only 33 subjects. If we further divide them to subgroup, we may not have too much power yeah, right. statistic power to give like uh, information, but uh, even with these thirty-three subjects, we did did analyze by sub subdivide them, and we did not really see. I mean, we did notice that uh, 
adenomal carcinoma uh, patient, they generally smoke less, but have, they tend to have higher mutation frequency compared to squamous. We, but we don't really have statistic power at this moment to, to share this information in the publication. Okay, that sounds great. Do you have an estimate on how much more data you would need before you get enough power? <laughs> of course, the more the better. Uh, we are, but uh, we 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 are challenged with either the cost of the sequencing, even though it has been reduced a lot. But still, if for each cell, it was like eight hundred dollar. Uh, yeah, so it is really very expensive. This is one thing. The other thing is. Uh, because we are collaborating with a, a, a clinic lab. Uh, if, so I don't think in the repository, it is the number is not like a, overflowing. So we are trying, we have to collect more sample to, to make further study. But I mean, towards IO's question, I think uh, you could do a subgroup, uh, I'm sorry, you could do a power calculation if you want to do a subgroup analysis and essentially try to get an idea of how many persons, how many subjects you'd need to recruit in order to, you know, do that analysis in a way that would allow you to make a conclusion that would be statistically solid, you know? Yeah, yeah, like we've done that kind of calculation ourselves with our sensor, and it was something like between 100 and 200,000 measurements had to be performed before an adequate calibration algorithm could be established. And we did that after a few hundred measurements. We did a few hundred measurements, looked at the analysis, and then went worked back from there. Uh, okay. Uh, I think I know what you mean, but in reality, uh, to make to make all these measurements, uh, we we need to balance between, I guess, mm, the cost and uh, and also how how much Logistics. time we need sure. to invest yeah. into it. So uh, instead, so we are trying to maybe use the blood uh, as the alternative. So that may help us to easily. Uh, to get more sample with more subjects. Oh, okay. So you would want to just look at like macro properties or some sort of correlation or directly just look at blood measurements? Yeah, first, you're right. We first need to build, like establish or find the correlation like from the blood or book of swap, they say, because it will be a much easier to get all these samples. Uh, yeah, this is the first step. And that is what we are doing. Uh, so that will, and we will just exactly do what you have been saying that calculate how much more sample we may need to have a state solid uh, analysis uh, to get, yeah, to get a conclusion. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, we Dr. found that our calculation, sorry, if I may just quickly, our calculation showed that it was cheaper to build a whole new kind of robot just for this task than it was to use human labor. So that's kind of a, a sad but funny kind of a twist in our, in our journey. Mm. Yeah, this will just give you one more reason to come back sometime soon, Doctor. Thank you very much for your talk. Yeah, thank yeah, you. thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to mention to the questions before 
when you write a grant for NIH or so, they ask you to do that anyways, uh, to do these calculations, what the power will be, how many samples, like to basically excuse the costs that you will have for doing this. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so everyone does that. But what the problem is then, what actually comes out of it, it's sometimes different. And um, we are discussing basically what the actual outcome was, <laughs> not what we write on, you know, in the model uh, to get some grants. So. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really looking forward to here because I had also uh, ideas to screen for mental health and so on for, um, and ch uh, check for markers of resilience in drawing blood and, and buccal swap. So I'm really curious about your next data and also about te the technology, new technology you mentioned. So yeah, feel invited back. I hope you enjoyed being here with us today. And yeah, I, thanks for all the great questions. I think it triggered me really a lot to think more about how to further uh, proceed with this uh, project. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you don't mind, Professor, I'll probably be emailing you, and perhaps Katarina will be so kind as to uh, share your email. And uh, I think there there is uh, perhaps an opportunity to collaborate. I, I really like the idea of, of uh, correlating to the blood. That is something that one of the teams here is working on, so that might be something that's possible. So, yeah, sure. Thank you again for yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much. Very interesting. Wonderful another collaboration i'm always happy to hear when people connect here so how could i uh, like share my email information uh, i can connect you to through email if that would be would you yeah yeah okay. yeah that'd I'll be great thank you so much an email to introduce and uh, it's you already were introduced but just you know uh, that you have each other contact and yeah i'm always happy to hear when people connect here and start collaboration it's not the first time so i'm, I'm really glad this is this thank you yeah thank you for your organization okay yeah so uh thank you everyone for asking wonderful questions and thank you for sharing your wonderful and very important work you're doing uh again i compliment you and congratulations and um yeah talk with you every i hope i see everyone back or hear everyone back soon and um yeah stay tuned for more rooms we have a room again tomorrow and um, enjoy the rest of your day evening morning wherever you are around the world bye bye thank, thank you, you so much bye, bye. Thank you. bye doctor bye, bye. bye. bye.